Coming up on this week's show, Gregory Ash talks to us about how he got into writing and the inspirations for his Hazard and Somerset series. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 172 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from WillKanaus.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hi, everybody. Hope everyone had a fantastic week filled with lots of terrific books. Speaking of weeks and books, someone I know has a new release. Yes, I do. Uh, Head in the Game uh, will premiere. Premiere? Do books premiere? I think books release rather than premiere. Uh, on Thursday, January 24th, uh, just in time for NHL All-Star Game Weekend, uh, which is happening on the 25th and 26th. Uh, the game's back in San Jose this week, this year, which I love because my very first All-Star Game experience in person was in San Jose in 1997. So it's kind of cool that it's back in the state. Anyway, this book is about an NHL player who uh, has, has, his game is messed up. Um, he's had a really bad breakup, and that's messed up his head a little bit. And so in the offseason, he's looking for a way to kind of get his groove back. And he goes home uh, to work with the coach who helped him in high school really find his game and turn him from an angry young man into a hockey player. And uh, while he's there, uh, he he's reintroduced to the coach's son, who was you know a very young kid while he was in high school, but now the young kid has grown up. Uh, is back home to go to graduate school and work with his dad at the high school. And uh, there's a bit of a crush going on there with Dylan. Uh, so Roger has to figure out what all that means to his game and his future. And, you know, can he can he make this connection and keep things going? So, yeah, check out Head in the Game. It is available for pre-order this week at all the usual outlets. And I'm also making a visit to Joyfully Jay's website this week. Uh, I will be there on Saturday the 26th. To talk about the book and give you a chance to win an ebook copy and also an Amazon $5 gift card. So come join me there as well. High school hockey player, computer whiz, covert agent. Theo Reese's life is split between being a normal teenager and a secret agent who goes by the code name Winger. After years of providing mission support from behind his keyboard, he's thrust into an unexpected world of adventure and danger. In Tracker Hacker, the first book in the Codename Winger series by Jeff Adams, it becomes personal for Theo, as an enemy organization compromises tactical operational support's agent tracker system. Among the missing agents, his father. Theo puts his life on the line to stop the hack and rescue his dad. Diverse Reader says, Wow, talk about a wild ride from beginning to end. I could not stop reading. Discover the world of Codename Winger with Tracker Hacker. Available in ebook, paperback, and audiobook, as narrated by John Solo. So while we've been in this holiday mode still, where not all of our TV shows have come back from the hiatus yet. We actually spent the week uh, catching up on some things that we missed over the summer. And, and we missed some pretty good movies out there, I think, over the course, too. Uh, we watched uh, Solo, A Star Wars Story. 
And I have to say that I don't know how this movie got such the bad rap that it did. I found it to be totally enjoyable and actually enjoyed it more than I did the most recent uh, Star Wars regular movie that came out. I guess that was last year sometime. Uh, I thought uh, Alden Emmerich or Einrich or however you pronounce his name, sorry, uh, was awesome as Han Solo. Uh, Donald Glover was awesome as Lando, and I would totally pay to see a Lando movie, uh, because he was pretty fun. Um, I liked it. It was a great popcorn movie. We got some good uh, Han Solo origin story, including how he got his name. And uh, I was, I, I liked it a lot. How did you, well, this was your second time to see it, because you watched it on a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, did it hold up a second time for you? It did. Uh, I think Solo has... A lot more to offer than people give it credit for. Um, I think it's worth noting that um, the way we consume this particular franchise has changed over the decades. Mm. Um, uh, It's important to realize that how we experience the films uh, is different than the way people experience them now. Uh, back in the day, there was, you know, a single movie that came out every three years and that was it. That is all you got. So you either had to love it or, you know, forgo it. Um, there's a lot of different media coming out, uh, in the Star Wars extended universe now. Uh, so you know what? It's perfectly acceptable. You don't have to like Solo if you don't want to. That's true. Um, you know, there's other stuff out there. There's other TV shows, there's games, there's other movies. Um, so there's enough for everyone. I don't, so I don't personally (laughs) believe Solo deserves all the hate that it got. Uh, I thought a lot of it was charming and, Mm -hmm. uh, I really... I personally thought Lando and Chewie were kind of the stars of this movie. Yeah, I would uh, agree with that. They're, it's really enjoyable. So uh, if you haven't yet checked it out, I, I recommend that you do. Yeah, and it's on Netflix right now. So you can check it out if you got the Netflix. Uh, another one we did was The Spy Who Dumped Me. Uh, this one we tried multiple times, I know, to get to the theater on it. It just never worked out. Um, Mala Kunis and Kate McKinnon uh, play these two... Uh, Americans who are traveling abroad, and man, do they get caught up in some spy action. Uh, (laughs) They pretty much do everything wrong, and it's hilarious watching them work their way through um, dealing with the spies who want their trophy, their trophy back that has the hard drive in it. Um, I would watch them do a sequel. I don't know what the sequel could be, but watching them go from these these two who are kind of lost going oh my god what's happening to becoming pretty badass themselves mm-hmm. uh was so much fun uh justin thoreau was great and i, I watch anything that sam's in because um, you know outlander sam you're so pretty i'll just watch you all the time something else we also checked out skyscraper uh the dwayne johnson movie uh it is essentially die hard meets towering inferno mm-hmm. uh that movie is really enjoyable uh we recommend you check it out also we saw bad times at the el royale this is um uh sort of a retro throwback ensemble uh violent thriller um, that had a whole lot of really interesting twists and turns. Mm-hmm. I like this movie an awful, awful lot. I think the main selling point of this movie is Jeff Bridges and Cynthia Erivo. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever the two of them are 
together on screen, um, it lights up. They have really interesting chemistry together. Uh, and like I said, even though this is essentially a uh, star-studded ensemble, uh, I think the two of them really shine. Yeah, they stood out so much. And I figured out that this is written, directed, and produced by Drew Goddard. I had no idea how much Drew Goddard has done that I actually really like. Cabin in the Woods, he's uh, a producer and director on The Good Place. He did Cloverfield. He wrote the Martian screenplay. He's got background in Alias and Lost. He did a tremendous job here, and I highly recommend uh, Bad Times at the El Royale as well. Also, for Cynthia Erivo's singing, she, does, uh, she sings some 60s classics in this movie. So good. Uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, Skyscraper, and The Spy Who Dumped Me are all currently uh, basically on demand on um, your cable system or on demand on Amazon and outlets like that. So, shall I talk about a book now? Sure. Yeah, makes sense, right? Because that's what we usually do here. Uh, I actually read a book that's really a script. Um, so it's not, I guess, really a book. Uh, I read Looking for Billy Haynes, uh, which is by Suzanne Brockman and her hus husband, Ed Gaffney, who's actually writing here under the name of Will McCabe. Uh, this is a play that got its off-Broadway staging back in 2010. Uh, and she actually directed this as well with her son, Jason, in the starring role. Uh, this is a novella-sized book. It comes in at about 26,000 words in the, when all said and done. And the focus here is Jamie, who's an actor who is has you know, kind of a struggling middle mid-list sort of a career. And he's auditioning for a role in a film about Billy Haynes, who is a Hollywood actor uh, who famously gave up his fame in the 1930s because he wouldn't deny his homosexuality. So he was fired from MGM uh, and he chose to live out his life with his partner, uh, Jimmy Shields. And they actually went on to be successful interior designers. This was a whole piece of Hollywood that I had no idea about. Uh, but it, it is rooted in reality, this part. Um, Jamie is also, as he's going for this movie, he's in a relationship with a closeted attorney who, while they had a really nice, cute meet, uh, the attorney is totally unwilling uh, to come out of the closet and live his life as a gay man. So Jamie is kind of the secret that's shoved in a corner. Uh, there's a thousand rules that are actually written on paper uh, to how they interact with each other, how Jamie can call him at the office, how they have to interact if they're in public. Uh, and it, it's a little ridiculous. And Jamie comes to realize this as he's digging into understanding who Billy Haynes was uh, and how Billy, even back in the 30s, refused to live in the closet. Um, there's some amazing fantasy sequences that play out through this as Billy interacts with Jamie. Um, there's also Jamie's three kind of ridiculous roommates um, who also, because of what's going on in their life, helped Jamie to come to the realization that he needs to truly embrace his authentic self and, and cast off Harlan um, and let Harlan live in the closet by himself um, instead of trying to uh, force him out piece by piece uh, because that's just never going to happen. Uh, we always expect romance uh, from Suzanne. And so she goes a little different here because... There is not a romance in this play. It's more about this young man embracing everything and living 
his full life and not being held back by somebody else. And it's also this wonderful look back at a piece of uh, 1930s Hollywood that uh, I certainly didn't know about. I'm sure you know the story because you know you your Hollywood history is much better than mine. Um, so I highly recommend if you want to take a little uh, different course and you don't mind reading something that is in script format, uh, check out Looking for Billy Haynes by Suzanne Brockman and Ed Gaffney. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at Facebook.com slash Big Gay Fiction Podcast and see what we get up to next. So I recently had the opportunity to talk to Gregory Ash. Uh, longtime listeners of the podcast know that Lisa from The Novel Approach has hyped Gregory's Hazard in Somerset and Hollow Folk series multiple times on the show. Uh, I finally got into reading Hazard and Somerset, and it blew my mind. So I was excited to sit down with Gregory to find out his backstory and everything about these wonderful series. So welcome, Gregory Ash, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to have you here. We've Lisa from The Novel Approach has talked you up on the show a number of times for the Hazard and Somerset books. She's so nice. And, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I finally took the plunge and was like, had my mind blown. Promptly oh my with, gosh, thank you. With, uh, with that first book. So you've actually been publishing since 2011. Oh my, yes. I know, yes. right? That's a while. Yeah. As we <laughs> sit here, you know, in 2019 now. Yeah, I know. What got you started? So I, when I, I was thinking about this, uh, when you kind of sent me your list of questions and I was like, well, the, the joke answer is I realized I wasn't getting any younger. I was like... I was, and it's, I was pretty young. I was 25. It was 10 years ago when I like really started writing seriously. I was 25. I'd li written a lot when I was a kid. I think like a lot of people grew up to be writers. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I just, there was, I did less and less of it. And then in college, I took a creative writing class from this New York Times bestseller. And I left that class kind of destroyed. I was like, okay, I figured it out. I'm never going to be a writer. Like this is, that's it. So I, I graduated college. I, I was done writing. And then I was in grad school. I was 25, you know, and I thought, man, this is silly. Like, why <laughs> why can't I just try to learn how to be a better writer instead of just giving up? <laughs> Which sounds so obvious right now, right? But it's I think it's that whole growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Do you believe you can get better? Or do you think you just are born with talent? And uh, so once I, that shift kind of came around, I started writing and I just started putting it on Amazon because um, I thought, well, this is the best I can do right now. I'm going to put it out there and keep trying to get better. And uh, I have taken some things down as I've gone forward because I thought, well, this probably aren't, it's not the best representation. But yeah, I mean, I, I've tried to leave up the stuff that I feel like was the best piece I could produce at that time. And so, mm -hmm. yeah. You're an English teacher by trade. Does that help? or hinder the writing process? Oh, gosh. Well, uh, maybe both. Uh, like, the days when I've read a lot, like, especially a lot of bad student essays, maybe I don't want to write anymore. There's no hope for the written word. Um, but but I do genuinely enjoy, like, uh, teaching about writing and talking to kids about their writing. And then that does get me 
motivated and thinking about my own work in new ways. And um, I share very little portions without character names because I don't, it's teaching in a public high school is sensitive, you know, and I am not entirely sure I want these kids tracking down my work, but I try to be honest about what I write and as you know, to whatever extent I can. And so, um, so I think there's a trade-off, you know, um, it's good to be exposed to books through the eyes of a 14 year old (laughs) and see what they like. And it's sometimes it's stuff that just baffles me. So, uh, (laughs) but you know, overall, I think it's, I think it's positive. There's just some days that makes it hard to get to back to the page. Do you find yourself getting to nurture potentially writers of the future? Do you find those like those certain kids who you think one day you might be reading their book? Yeah. Well, and I would say the short answer is yes, absolutely. The longer answer is it's fewer than I expected, actually. And I think that might be because um, the curriculum is so geared away from creative writing that most of the time, when I do encounter those students, it's because they're writing on their own time for their own pleasure. Um, and that's really fun for me because that's why I write too. Um, but, you know, it's just that's that's always going to be the minority, I think, of people that make that active effort outside of a requirement to write. So Sure, yeah. yeah. So what are some of your author influences, you know, both growing up and with what you write now? That's a, a, I thought I, I kind of wrote my list out of these because I was and I kept getting longer and longer and finally I thought okay well you have to stop somewhere. <laughs> um, I would say I read all this fantasy, all these fantasy novels growing up, and uh, I just I guess for the longest time I thought I was going to write fantasy novels and I, some of that kind of speculative fiction still creeps into some of the books, but like it was really when I started reading. Stephen King and Agatha Christie that uh, something started to click for me about how the stories I like worked. And I would, I think really those two are the biggest influences, even though I don't write horror. I think Stephen King has just written so extensively and uh, so compellingly in a lot of genres that that's, that was really transformative for me. And I didn't find him until I was in my thirties. I was like, I know it came to him pretty late, actually. Uh, I think because of all the bad '80s movies, you know, like I yeah. was so turned off by these made-for-TV movies uh, and like the low-budget effects, and I was like, "Man, this guy! What? It feels like I'm going to be reading some kind of hack." And then finally, I just I do like the Stanley Kubrick Shining so much that I was like, "Well, I should at least read the that one," and I was hooked. So yeah, that's a good one to get hooked on. Oh yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, and I don't know if this is true for you, but like, I feel like some authors you come to at the right time. And if I had read him ten years earlier, I don't know if that would have impacted me the same way. Yeah, I actually think that's true. Yeah, like for me, a lot of Stephen King happened in high school. Okay, sure. and like I was so hooked on the stand. Oh yeah, that's and still, damn. you know, to this day, I think that that's one of my all-time favorites, and just the way he crafted that epic story. Oh, it's incredible! Yeah, that one and it are kind of balanced in my mind as his biggest kind of, I don't know, I don't know if masterpiece is the right word, but like the most Im- impressive kind of in terms of scope and everything. Yeah, I'd, it as a book, I like. The, I can't do the movies. Oh, I agree. I'm with you. Yeah, that, the that clowns, book. the clown visible is too much. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, back to your own work, now that we've plugged Stephen oh, King cool. for a bit. <laughs> That's cool. You've released six Somerset Hazards books oh, in the past year. Yeah. Tell us about the series for those who, who may not be familiar. Yeah, thanks. Oh, thanks for giving me that chance to talk about it. I mean, Hazard and Somerset is, um, I guess most people will tell me that it is a slow burn, love, like hate to love story, right? Like these guys start off hating each other. They have a past of um, one of them was bullying the other in high school. And Hazard, who's I think kind of our primary protagonist, a lot of the that arc is about him and his growth across the books. He loses his job uh, as a detective in St. Louis. He's forced to move to his hometown. He's not, well, I mean, there's some circumstances. He moves back to his hometown, takes a job on the local force there as a detective, and finds himself partnered with his former bully. And a lot of the story is um, about them trying to figure out how much the other has changed and uh, I think finding this attraction that is rooted in childhood and rooted in, I think, the things that made them come into conflict in childhood and kind of exploring how that uh, recurs as they're adults. Mm-hmm. And then their mystery, you know, all of this is wrapped inside the framework of individual mystery. So each novel has its own standalone mystery that they're trying to resolve um, as the relationship progresses. And they're not easy mysteries. Well, I hope, I, I hope not. Thank you. I mean, I'm really trying because I love a mystery. Um, every once in a while, like Amy Lane, who I love, she read the first one and she wrote, she texted me that night. She was like, oh, it was so good. She, I did figure it out. And I was like, dang you, Amy Lane, you figured it out. She figured it out? Yeah. But, um, but I, you know, she, that's always good feedback, too, because then you know what, what kind of person's going to figure them out. And, you know, she writes her fair share of um, suspense, too, you know, and, and mixing with her romances. So I'm going to take that as a sign that maybe <laughs> maybe that's why I'm going to cut myself a little slack there. Well, because I got as you kept building that, and as you know, I've only read the first one so far, so I can't you know speak to the others out there. Yeah. But as it went along, I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, thank you. I, I, I. That's really what I'm going for. I, because I love a mystery, and that's really kind of the genre I was coming from. So I hope, I hope that's working. How many more of these books do you have planned? Oh man, um, I know that there's going to be another. I call them arcs, you know, like another set of books. I think it's going to be five. Um, I don't know because I've been really trying to hash out this trilogy that I'm going to write before I get back to Hazard and Summers, and so I have a draft of what that outline looks like for Hazard and Summers. Um, but I. I feel pretty tentative. Like I feel like it, there's a lot of wiggle room in there, so it would probably only get longer. That seems to be my uh, that seems to be my curse. I don't think it ever gets shorter. So yeah, but that's kind of the plan. Is another arc, kind of looking at them. Book six has a lot of major changes for them, um, not just in their relationship, but like in their. Uh, careers and in kind of the things that are driving them and motivating them. And it also has some changes, pretty significant changes in the town. So it, those books are going to be about their relationship and like these, you know, 
I mean, as you can, I think you can already tell in the first book, no matter how good it gets, there are going to be these like uh, tectonic fractures in it all the time because, you know, they're just hard headed and they have tempers and they have this past. And so kind of looking at how their relationship moves forward under these new conditions that they're working under. So that's that's the plan. And I, for me as a reader, I like how that they don't just hit their HEA at the end of book one. Mm-hmm. It keeps growing and changing and going through life, if you will. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, I hope that, I mean, I felt like there was some of that in Hacker Tracker as well. Like that, this idea that if the story is really complete, it there's a little bit of a lack of verisimilitude and that's not a, problem necessarily like i think that's really enjoyable with a lot of things most movies i want to end yeah. and be closed but um that just wasn't what i wanted with these books like i wanted um to really take my time and look into it um now now that everybody likes that but you know but but that that i think you know that's one one way to offer a story and one way mm-hmm. to tell a story and so yeah, there's always the fractions who always want their HEA and then to right. move on to another couple or, right. you know, but I like, you know, we were talking about Layla Rainey's books that I, that I recommended yeah. to you as we started. You know, she does the same thing where these folks arc through trilogies. Right. So Well, and I think that's one of the, one of the questions I think is how much, is how that can be sustained, you know, to what extent can it be sustained and under what conditions. And so um, I think that's why I'm, that's why I kind of stepped away from after book six and said, I I need to think about what's, what's the next set of issues that people face in a relationship. You know, what's an honest way to think about how relationships grow because they do have a, I would say a happy ending. I don't know if it's a happily ever after ending, um, in book six, but, um, I, I mean, I'll not to give any spoilers. I leave enough open, I think to say, well, what, you know, these guys aren't perfect. There's a lot of ways that relationships can go wrong as anyone who's been in a relationship knows there's like a million ways for them to go wrong and usually only one way for them to go right. And so, so that's kind of the way I'm trying to figure that out as I go forward. What's your process been in these first six books? Like, for example, yeah. did you know from the get go you were going to do six, and so you plotted from there, or no? I think I I, I plotted them in two halves, and I knew, <clears throat> and it was actually uneven halves. Like, so it's two parts, I should say. So, like, I parted, I plotted from one to four. Like, and uh, four is a major turning point in in the series. And when I got to the end of four, I, I knew that I'd left some things unresolved, um, but I also didn't want to drag those things out. Like I knew what needed to be taken care of and I, and I knew how to get there. So then there were two more books to kind of tie up those issues. And now, then I said, that was when I said, okay, I know I've, I've worked through the things that I set up for myself in this series. And now is a good stopping point to step back and start thinking about what's the next, you know, what's the next set of things? What's the next set of problems? So, so did to that end, did you have like one master outline you were working oh, from, man. or 
So I, uh, I don't, I don't even outline. Um, and I, that's not entirely true. Cause I, I do. And then I start writing the book and it all goes out the window. Like I write these really complicated outlines and I've got like my clues built in there and my villains and I've got the stages in the relationship. And every time whatever idiot is sitting in the back of my head pulling the levers ends up making something totally different happen. Not totally different, but substantially different. So what I've tried to do is just embrace that and say, well, I prepare as best I can. You know, I write these outlines. Usually most of the mystery elements come through pretty clearly. Um, the relationship stuff never turns out the way I thought it was going to. Um, and that's... I used to get really frustrated by that and freak out about it. And I... You know, there's this that Stephen King book on writing. And mm -hmm. one of the things that he talks about in there that really resonated with me when I came to it was this idea of... Um, telling a story as like excavation, like archeology, span and that you're kind of uncovering these layers and dusting off more layers and then doing a little bit more dusting and uncovering some more. Um, and to me that has been kind of true. Like there's some uncovering and then a lot of going back and fine tunings. Now, six books in a year. Oh man. That's a lot of books. And let's, it, presumably, you know, maybe the first two of those books got written in, 2017 and came out in 2018. Yeah. But that's a lot of books. It was and a lot of books. you're a school teacher. How does all this oh, happen? Uh, well, <laughs> not easily, I can tell you. I mean, that's not entirely true. I mean, so I, when I, w I was thinking about this and I was like, well, the, uh, like the, the, there's two answers. Like one is I worked hard. I mean, and that's true. Like one is that I was lucky. And I was lucky in the sense that uh, things just go wrong in life all the time, you know, and like things come up and there are complications. And um, I just was really lucky that so I, I write basically 2000 words a day every day. And uh, I'm real good at keeping to that until I'm not, you know, until something goes wrong at work or until something goes wrong with my family or my personal life. And, um, like the, so like for eight months, I was lucky that, that, that worked. And I was able to really dedicate myself to writing every day, revising every day, uh, juggling multiple books. Um, having that summer off helps, you know, cause I can sit and write for eight hours, you know, which is a luxury that most people don't have. But, um, you know, like the last four months, that has not been true. Like I have really had a lot of things come up and it slowed my productivity drastically. And I finally had to get to a point where I was like, well, listen, either I can be incredibly unhappy about that and bemoan the fact that these books aren't writing as, you know, aren't happening as fast as I want them to, or I can just be really grateful that I had that great stretch where mm -hmm. I was able to get the Hazard and Somerset books written. And at this point, I'm just going to do my best you know, work on these things as best I can. And, you know, hopefully I'll hit one of those smooth patches again and get real productive again. But yeah, I mean, it's just, I, and I know that's true for everybody, right? I mean, is that true for you? You find that there are things that just get in the way and. Oh yeah. Cause you, you're juggling a lot as well. You're juggling. You, I mean, you have a lot of balls in the air. Yeah. And you know, any one thing can derail something else. 
And it's, it's great that you had that stretch. Yeah, I felt really lucky. I mean, I, I mean, or, or fortunate or blessed or whatever word you want to use, but that really was exceptional. And so, and you know, some of it, I don't want to downplay the fact at some point everybody has to decide I'm going to sit down and write. You know, I mean, everybody has things going on. But, you know, I was pretty lucky. And I think, you know, and it, summer's going to come again and I'll have a good summer when I can, you know, maybe catch up a little bit. So, How many projects do you work on at a time? Because you mentioned multiple books. Are you writing in multiple uh, books or is it more a matter of writing and, and editing something else? Yeah, that, I can't write two things at the same time. I tried it and it was terrible, um, at least for me. And so I write one, and usually I try to I, I try to do it so that I can write that in one, do my words in one chunk, um, and then have like an hour where I eat dinner or I grade or I do something to kind of clear everything out, and I come back to whatever the revision project is. Um, that also helps because usually that's on paper and I'm not at the screen again, you know? So, yeah. I mean, kind of, but you know, I, there's only so much time I can sit at a computer. And, um, so I try to be conscientious about like where I use that time. And, and I don't know how, how it worked for you necessarily, but I know for me, because I, the second, third and fourth of the winger books were back to back for me. And every now and then I'd be like writing in three, but editing and, and doing yeah. revision work in two. And it's like, yeah. wait, is that over here or over there? Yeah. Did you run into that? Oh, that's exactly. I mean, especially over the last year, I'll be like, now, wait a minute. Didn't he just say that? And then I'll have to go back. and. Yeah, absolutely. Or, But sometimes it's helpful because I'll be like, holy crap, I completely forgot about this little thing that I threw in. you know. And then that's helpful and I can bring it back. Um, cause I, I have a terrible memory. So we were talking earlier about listening to the audio, our audio books. And sometimes I'm like, well, that's really great. Who wrote that? You know, like that is not, that's not that, that's not that often, but every once in a while there's kind of, so having a bad memory might be a good thing every once in a while. <laughs> now, speaking of the audio, the first four hazard and Somerset are yeah. in audio. Yeah. Um, are you planning on getting the, the rest out there too, those last two? Yeah, they will come out next year. So uh, Tristan James, who is amazing and just such a good um, narrator, and he's done such a great job with these books, is also very busy because he's such a good narrator. So it's a kind of a balance of like getting the books in his schedule and um, getting them to line up with my schedule as well. And so I know I've got one on his calendar I'm hoping it'll be out in March. That's book five and book six. He's agreed to do it, but we're both still trying to figure out where that works best for us. So, but it'll, yeah, sense. it'll be out next year. So, cool. I like that you're writing this other trilogy. It gives me a chance to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice of you to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, I mean, it is kind of fun to um, step away for a while. I was going to ask you, how did you and Tristan? come together yeah i um it i got lucky i mean that's the answer i took so i got con tantor media who produces a lot of audiobooks contacted me and wanted to buy the rights for the first three hazard and somerset mysteries nice i yeah i was really excited i said yes um and as as you know because i think we were talking about this earlier at that point i had nothing to do with it you know like so uh, like three months later, I got an email from them saying, well, here are your codes for the audiobook. And I was like, 
oh boy, <laughs> I really hope, you know, it's good because that narrator can make it or break it. And so I listened to it and I was just like ecstatic. And uh, when it came time to start doing books four, five, and six, I just went ahead and contacted him and I was like, hey, you did an amazing job with these three. Would you be willing to do the other three? And so, and he was really gracious about it. So, how what was your feeling as you started hearing it for the first time? And like, oh, that's Hazard now, and this is Somerset. Yeah, and... yeah. it was. It's a little surreal. I mean, it's it's strange to hear these voices that are in my head pretty constantly. Uh, you know, not to sound too disassociated, but like. It's weird to hear those coming from somebody else, and that part I wasn't crazy about. But it, I was, I did just love because I think there's always a little bit of a disconnect. I mean, Tristan had to read the book and had to hear him in his mind, you know, and so there's always a little disconnect. But he did a fantastic job, and I loved hearing them come to life and hearing the emotion in his voice and in their voices as they kind of go through these the torture I put them through, and so it's just a real pleasure. Did the way he did the voices and the performance affect how you approached the characters or made them say certain things in, in the books that came after your first hearing? That is a great question. Uh, I've never even thought about that. If it did, I wasn't aware of it. Like, I'll have to think about that some more because I I know that, like, listening to the audiobooks affected how I plotted book six because I was listening to them again and I told you I have a bad memory and I was like, Oh yeah, I put that thing in there and I put that thing in there. And so a lot of things, it, it really helps me to make the arc complete and cohesive. But in terms of how he acted those characters, I'm going to have to think about that. It's a great question. I'm sure the answer is yes. I just don't know how. Yeah, that's what I get for coming up with that question on the fly instead of no, giving it to you question. in the advance set. No, it's a great question. <laughs> I don't even. I think I'm gonna have to like really spend some time on that because I it, the answer has to be yes. At some level, like I've been internalizing his version of those characters as I listen to them. So yeah, I'm gonna have to really think about that now. Right. We'll let people know on a future podcast what you come up with for that answer. I'll be a little more articulate that time. Yeah. Now, before you did Hazard and Somerset, you were had a YA mystery series called Hallow Folk. Yes. What's that about, and where where was its inspiration coming from? So, um, I I had been writing those books. Um, I. Okay, so the, the I'll tell you the inspiration, and I'll tell you the rest of it. The inspiration is is actually sad, but I mean not completely tragic. I, we had these family friends. So I live in St. Louis. I have family friends here. Uh, they went through a terrible, bitter, messy divorce, and when it was all resolved, um, the wife took like their six kids and moved to a tiny town in Wyoming. And that first winter they were there, one of her sons attempted suicide and I like it just I know it it really haunted me like I knew these kids and I it broke my heart I mean and, and he is I say it wasn't tragic because he is better now and received help right and but like that story his story really haunted me and I I don't want to say that I 
like commercialized that or took advantage of that, but I it did become like this germ in my head and the story of the main character of those books, Vi, kind of coalesced around that and grew around that. And I really wanted to think about, well, like, what is the despair that comes from being totally uprooted and put in a place where you know no one and it feels like no one cares about you? Um, and so <clears throat> those books, at, at that point in writing, I'd been writing for, I don't know, eight years or seven years or nine years, something like that. And I just reached this point where I was like, well, it doesn't matter what I write because nobody's buying it. So I'm just going to write whatever I want to write. And I'm going to write things that I care about and stories that feel true to me. And um, so I wrote the the first three of those books pretty close together. And then it was, it, there's a lot of, it's much darker content matter than the, um, Hazard and Somerset Mysteries in the sense that it's a lot about abuse and self-harm and um, and suicidal ideation. And I finally just had – and I just had to step away from it because it was burdensome. It was, you know, it was burdensome to carry that in my head all the time. And so um, – they are, he is a psychic, he is solving mysteries, the paranormal element deepens with each book um, and kind of expands, like the paranormal universe that he's operating in gets a lot bigger. So I'm writing the last book in that right now, and it's, um, it, it is substantially different from the first one because it, it is, there's a much stronger paranormal element to it than in the first few. Um, but yeah, that's, so I don't, I, I would, I've had people write me and say they responded really strongly to the way those themes are handled in positive, in productive ways, I should say. But like, um, it is, it is not for people who might feel triggered by those issues. You know I mean? I, yeah. uh, anyway, and I've, I've tried to come to those from authentic places, but it's hard to deal with that, you know, hard to write about that. And it's interesting Having not read Hollow Folk yet, and it's on my list because it's one of the one of those that Lisa's like, you need to read that. Oh, um, <laughs> so nice. That you say that it's darker because at least in in uh, Pretty Little Boys, there's some dark material yeah. in that book. Yeah, both and without going into spoilers, but it's it, it it's in Hazard and Somerset's past, but it's also in what's happening in their present day mystery too. Right. Which could almost be ripped from the headlines depending on where you live at any given moment. But right. Right. Well, yeah. and it, it, it's, I would, I mean, I guess when I say darker, I feel like, I mean, it's also written from a first person point of view mm. and whether that affects the reader the same way it affects me, I don't know. But I just know that for me, that was a much, it's a much, it was a much darker headspace to inhabit where hazard and Summers are both, uh, I think they're resilient and tough and they have baggage and grief that they carry like anybody does who sure. makes it to adulthood. Um, but they're not in the same place of despair um, that Vi is. And so maybe that's why to me, even maybe the con maybe objectively, I don't know, maybe the content isn't actually any darker, but it sure felt that way. <laughs> 
from the inside. Well, I can see why first person would make you feel that way too, because you're in a different yeah. space when you're writing yeah. first versus yeah. third. Is that true for you as well? Like, do you feel that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's there's just a closer a closer a closerness. That's not good ver- yeah. that's not good language. <laughs> I say to the English teacher. <laughs> uh, you're closer to the to the subject at that point. Because yeah. of your 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 in their head even more so, right? Um, so uh, yeah, I could definitely see how that could bring the darker aspects closer. Yeah, and, and let's go finish our trip on the wayback machine here. <laughs> <laughs> your the, the the series you've got left on Amazon. It yeah. may not be and your first series, but it's what's there <laughs> currently. Yeah, um, the sophistries of June. Maybe yeah. I hope I pronounced that right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's got even more sci-fi in it from what I've seen in the blurbs. Yeah, it's definitely like a urban fantasy-ish speculative fiction kind of book. Um, I, I yeah, so this it has some parallels to Vi's story, but I I think it's substantially different. It's a boy who moves with his family to a small midwestern town. Um, <clears throat> He is like his whole family is reeling from this tragedy that happened to them very recently. Um, so it doesn't have the same. I'd say it looks at family dynamics. It looks at um, what it means to love someone who can't or won't love you back in the same way. Um, and it, Kind of also uh, how we heal from grief. And it's kind of all set within this framework of um, like a fantasy, right? So this this boy who has magical powers is in this town and he comes across what should be an impossible monster. Like he knows about monsters, but this particular one should have been impossible. And so there's some mystery, right? He's trying to figure out how is this possible? Why is it here? Uh, he figures out there's someone else in the town who has um, a magical ability. You can probably guess that there's going to be a, some romantic interest involved in that. And so, so they are. Uh, yeah, that I would say that's it's much closer to a, a an urban fantasy kind of book. So many genres kind of in play. I mean, between yeah. the very real world rooted Hazard and Somerset and some of these other paranormal kind of zones that you've worked in with hollow folk and and sofa streets of june Um, well i mean tell me if this was true for you but for me like part of that was uh like the sandbox mentality like i want to build whatever i want to build my sandbox but part of it too was i think learning like learning a genre from the inside from writing it at least for me was an important part of my process of learning to write in general because Hmm. Genres ask you to do different things and to try different things. And so um, had I, I think if, if I hadn't at least tried even those books I took down, boy, there were two epic fantasy trilogies that just had to come down. <laughs> but like, even if I hadn't tried them, I think I wouldn't have learned a lot of the things that I learned along the way. For me, there's still a lot of, I still have a lot of interest in different ways that orientation and uh, sexual identity complicate relationships and impede relationships. Sure. But I think hopefully moving beyond the, I think 
kind of well-established and well-worn, like he's closeted and won't come out for me. You know, like I think that, I hope that that is slowly and slowly moving into the shadows. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Right now, back into the closet. Push that one back into the closet. As you've written over all this time and in these different genres, what at the core is the trademark of a Gregory Ash book? Oh gosh, I thought about. I've thought about this. I don't. Uh, so I would say I think at uh, at the core, um, I want these stories to be stories about. Um, people and like exploring who these people are and um flannery connor has a great quote about um like writing and she says something like uh real writing is when you write what that person like really would have done or how they you know, would have done or how they would have acted and that that's harder than coming up with a plot you know like that that's the that's harder than Anybody can write the story of A gets to B gets to C to get the magic X that does, you know, I mean, so I hope that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm trying to do, at least. And I think what that means is thinking about creating characters who do have past and that the past is always with us and that we're all not. I don't think everybody's damaged, maybe, but everybody's got everybody's just a person who has flaws and makes mistakes. And like a lot of that does come from the fact that we're raised by imperfect people and whether they're, they tried their best or whether they were total jerks. I mean, that shapes who you are when you grow up and what it means to be an adult and try to deal with those things. Um, so I find like books about people transitioning in age, right? Like becoming adults as adolescents is kind of an important time to think about that. But like the Hazard and Somerset guys are in their 30s and they're still thinking about that, you know? And um, I think the I, t- I tend to come back to issues about uh, the importance of history, like uh, in a world where it's nobody wants to learn about the past, like, no, like nothing past five years ago let alone mm-hmm. 50 years ago or 500 years ago um like what it means to have power and like use power appropriately um especially in a relationship where you can hurt the other person in ways that nobody else can um i think those are things that keep coming up in my work even though i don't like i don't have an agenda that i set out to write those things but i think they're things that are in my soul and i'm worried about and so sure. they come out a lot so i i hope that's the right at least kind of a hint of an answer or like a yeah. you can edit this all down make it sound a lot better your bio says you read many genres as well what's oh, yeah. what's top of your reading list right now well um i just read this book called the orchardist which is like a literary fiction kind of uh book club fiction about believe it or not, a man who has an orchard and he's in, you know, Washington state, uh, it like the, in like the 1800s. And, uh, that was great. It was, it was just beautiful. Um, nonfiction, like I'm obsessed with this nature writer named Robert McFarlane. And he is, I think he's like one of the best prose stylists, um, around right now. Like he, especially for writing about the physical world. Like he's, he's English and um, writes primarily about like the British Isles and 
like I read his books and they're it's like learning how to see better if that makes sense like he mm-hmm. just has this incredible acuity in the way that he perceives and I to me that's both really rewarding as a reader and like good training as a writer like trying to help me see a little better uh, and then I'm reading, oh boy, uh, I always have books. I do juggle a few at the same time. Like I've got, uh, this Dennis, oh, I don't know how to say his last name, Lehane, Lehane, L-E-H-A-N-E, um, Darkness Take My Hand. It's a mystery novel. And then, uh, Tad Williams, he wrote this fantasy series like 30 years ago called The Dragon Bone Chair, um, that I just went back to because it had kind of been like percolating in my memory like i knew i had enjoyed those books as a kid but i didn't really remember them and so i'm just kind of it's on my phone and i when i have a free minute i read through a little bit more so that's cool we've we've kind of hinted around at it a little bit as we've worked through this but what's coming up next for you what's the definitive here's what's next (laughs) here's what's next yeah the last hollow folk hollow folk oh that is hard to say uh that last one is coming out uh, I hope early next year, like I'm almost done writing it, then I got to revise, then I got to get, you know, but like I'm at least almost done re- writing it. And so that's going to be next. And then I'm writing a trilogy with a private detective, actually two private detectives are partners who don't get along, obviously. <laughs> and uh, they're going to be in St. Louis. And uh, that's that trilogy that's going to come before I go back to Hazard and Summers. So so that's like 2019, maybe 2020. <laughs> it's got me uh, booked out for a little ways. Cool. And how can people keep up with you online? Uh, I I am on Facebook. Uh, my website is www.gregoryash.com. And uh, the, probably the best way is to sign up for my mailing list only. And I just say that because I do send out like a free short story with every book launch. So they're always related to that book. So if you enjoy one of the books and you want to see those characters some more, the short stories usually have, you know, they get in a little bit of trouble, have some fun solving it. Um, but it's just like a nice little thank you for supporting me that I send out to people who subscribe. So oh, very cool. I just signed up actually, so I could get some of that free fiction. Oh, so. awesome. <laughs> oh awesome. Very cool. Well, Gregory, thank you so much for hanging out with us. It has been incredible getting to talk to you and finding out all the stuff about Hazard and Somerset and the other series. Thank you. This is a real honor for me. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Gregory for taking the time to sit down with me. Uh, There's a lot of Hazard and Somerset on my reading list for this year because I really want to catch up uh, on all those books before he comes back to them uh, after that trilogy he talked about. And just a quick reminder before we go, you can help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For as little as 25 cents a month, you can help us cover our production costs, and that'll give you access to bonus episodes, plus the opportunity to perhaps ask questions of some of our upcoming guests. You can get all the information about this at Big Gay Fiction Podcast Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash Podcast. Okay, everyone, I think that'll do it for this week's episode. Coming up next week in episode 173, we have author Kate McMurray. She's going to come join us and talk about everything she's got planned coming up in 2019. So everyone, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. 
For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.